This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. One, two, three. Yes! Hey, welcome. We're at the Institute's Summit 2023, St. Petersburg, Florida. And uh, every time this whole thing about being on vacation, because, wow, how do you go to these places? It's warm. It's going to be 20 degrees minus in Buffalo this coming weekend. And I'm here in 70 some degree weather. And they say, it's a tough job you have, mm. Carm. Yep. I've been waiting all winter to wear clothes like this. Yeah, so. me too. <laughs> but uh, the sun's out there, but I haven't seen it in three days. Yeah. And so, hey, welcome, everyone. Glad to have you here. I need to set this thing up for you. Michael Smith is with us, managing partner, Herzberg Smith and Company. Hello, Michael. Hello there. And he was a important keynote speaker yesterday. And part of what we want to talk about for our great audience is that. AJ Neely is with us, Neely Auto Service in Maryland. Four stores now, more coming, or is there five, 10? Five, five now. Well, I got I this information. I breaks for about a month. I got this so. information yesterday, so you must have just added a store. Uh, in uh, November, we added. In November. Yeah. Well, see, what happens to guys like you and Brian is we lose track so fast. Yeah. And, uh, and there's like no kids. There's no Wikipedia yeah. that tells us where you are. <laughs> not, not, like, like, What's your favorite shop? Yeah. Yeah. They're all my snowflakes. They're all very unique. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you change the name of the business? And why did you change it? Yeah, well, wait a minute. Wait, feel? Wait, 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 wait a minute. It's Brian Bates, by the way, yeah. from, I used to know him as Eagle Automotive in Colorado. Nine stores, maybe possibly 12 by April 23, 30 by December. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. How you doing, man? Good. Good. Good to have you here. Great EAS here. Tire and Auto, huh? We're moving um, some of the branding over. We did run into a little bit of a conflict with another Eagle store that came into the Denver area, and we agreed that uh, they probably have rights to that over us. So we are are moving the uh, branding over to EAS Tire, just abbreviated Eagle Automotive Service, put into tires, um, gave us a little bit of a impetus to change the branding. We were looking to get you know a little bit more on the tire side. So everything happens for a reason, and that's kind of where we are, but not looking back and excited about the uh, little bit of a change, the identity and, and uh, where it's going to take us and what the you know next five years have in store for us. Hey, plan to be at Apex 2023, October 31st through November 2nd. Apex will build upon the incredible success of Joe's Garage, a full 10-day working environment. If you earn your living in the auto service aftermarket, then Apex is for you. Hey, for over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Tracks on the web at napatracs.com. Michael, you did a speech yesterday, a keynote, a really important speech. I was kind of glued to each and every slide, each and every word that you had. You called it the future of the automotive aftermarket. So, I mean, we're all in it. When someone comes up and wants to tell you that the future is changing and it's going to be interesting and fun and different, and hopefully you're all going to keep up kind of your message. And then you got into the details. I would love to have you cover a little bit for our audience who wasn't lucky enough to be here about uh, the accelerating changes that are going on, if you could uh, help us. And then, so everyone knows, AJ and Brian work with Michael on their strategies for growth. And we do want to talk to the audience. So hang around. We want to talk to them about the challenges in growing. So, uh, Michael. Uh, Real briefly, I presented on trends. And there were seven of them. We don't go into all the detail here. But the biggest picture ones were what's happening at the OEM level. What are the automotive companies doing now and what are they planning to do? And frankly, how fast they're planning to do it and the reasons behind why they're making the changes that they are. In the aftermarket, we tend to look at them as slow moving, stable, pretty much doing the same thing in the future that they have in the past, which then gives us a stable platform to build on. And that's not, in fact, true at this point. They're rethinking their industry at the deepest level and in the process of doing that, what kind of equipment they have how the autonomous vehicle component fits into it, who's going to control the data and how it gets passed back along to whom shared mobility, who's going to be in charge of the people not owning their own vehicles, but ordering transportation and who's got that in their hands. And so there's a lot moving at the same time and they're rethinking their entire strategy from the ground up. No dealership someday, huh? The potential for dealerships to fade 
into the future is there in a strong kind of a way. And it depends on how fast the auto companies can make the change and own the change versus having it done around them and them having to play catch up. So there's a lot that's unknown at this point, but the dynamic of us having in our industry, the dealer service component as being a primary competitor may not be strong in the future like it has been in the past. And these are just underlying trends that we should keep our eyes on as we're thinking about our own strategy in, in this business. Right? You know, when I talk to people about uh, owning the data, you hear service professionals basically say, listen, we'll give you the data. You just need to buy my parts. So I don't think they want to get out of that business, frankly, because I think they want to be able to let AJ work on their car, but they want some kind of hook for that. Have you heard that? Yeah. And to me, it's crazy because it, sometimes we're almost like one board meeting decision away from some major changes that can occur in this industry. And that's the thing. It's like us being in the independent world, right? We're further on down the chain. As Michael's kind of mentioned in his keynote yesterday, what they do now is what we will experience three to five years down the road. And we do as much as we are leaders in what we do in our industry. We're also, unfortunately, we're followers to what the automotive industry will be doing. And there was one slide that he had, for example, that was really eye-opening is that like automotive, you know, let's look at a manufacturer. They have all these different verticals, right? Financial and after sales and the, the manufacturing and everything that's there. And of all of that, like we're just like little auto service is just such a, a small sliver in all of this. And that like, you know, you look at the, the grand scheme and we're a very small part in all of this. And it's really interesting to see what the future will hold. But I, I'm telling you, I think we're just literally a board meeting away sometimes from like understanding like what so, the future is. So somebody's going to knock on your door and says, Hey, we're closing the service shop, but uh, we want to sell you parts. Yeah. Who knows? It could be that. I mean, or could you imagine, I struggle thinking about a world in which there are no dealerships, right? Because they're, they have such a huge control, like the dealership industries that exist, the lobbying that they have, the there's so much there with all the people they employ, you know, just, it's just my thinking of like, where do those people go? You know, do I have to drive the car, see, feel and touch it in order to buy it? The kids today don't think so. See, yeah. they would rather have it delivered to the front of their house. Mm -hmm. They do not want to sit in a dealership for eight hours while the finance department behind a, a closed wall tells them what the deal is going to look like. Yeah. They have no tolerance for that. You know, they, um, and it's interesting because when Amazon started coming into my life, right at first, I just couldn't imagine not being able to see the product and feel it and kind of, cause I'm the guy at the store that's opening the box and my wife's like, you can't open the box. Don't do this. Oh, I got to open it. I got to yeah. feel it. I got to look at it. I got to mm -hmm. see. And now I'm just, I look at it. Yep. That's what I want. And just our, our way of buying things is different. I want to go back just a, a step back to the dealership, the proposition that maybe the dealerships want us to work on the vehicles and not them but they do want to still sell us the parts, right? So there's a couple of uh, things that come to mind when I hear that. One is that um, last year we were approached by Ford in Detroit. They came to us with a pilot program where they actually would send us customers that they were attempting to recover. So somebody that had left their marketing loop for uh, you know a period of 12 or 18 months, and then they would loop them in with some marketing and then send them our way. We would do an oil change. Our promise to Ford for doing this was that we would buy the parts from them. And it was a real feeble attempt at organizing this. But I think the end result was they made a run at it. They learned a bunch of stuff and now they're coming back. Um, they're going to regroup and think it over again and then try it again. But there was, I think about two or three shops in the area that, uh, were participating in this. The other thing that comes to mind is when I was working at the dealership, we basically had the calculations. If we were doing a warranty, like a good deal, a goodwill warranty job for somebody, if they paid for the parts, then we were making money. The dealership was making money in the end. Mm -hmm. So even though we would pay for the labor, as long as the customer paid for the parts, it was a win for, for the dealership. So I think to your point, Carm, as a manufacturer, the dealerships are a necessary evil in their world because they have to have somebody distribute the parts, distribute the cars, interact with the customers. We may, oh, you got something on your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear me going? Ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, ooh. yeah. Your discussion made me think that they want the marriage with us. The OEMs want the marriage with us, but I don't think they necessarily believe that the dealer entity, the brick and the mortar, 
is necessary that could put up two big warehouses in your marketplace and sell you all the parts. We can order a car online and it, like Carvana or whatever, it could be delivered. Yep. I think they got a hell of a battle in front of them over X amount of years. If it ever happens, it has to transist. The transition is going to be it, tough. Yeah. Again, yeah, it's, it, it's right. kind of like everyone says, well, we're not selling any more ICE engines by next year. I mean, all of the, the futuristic think that's going on in our world is too tight, but I think the world knows it. Yeah. And I think we'll work toward a number and then it'll, it'll keep pushing itself out. And in this particular case of the dealerships, when I saw your his slide on the verticals and they make big, big money in financial services, that almost tells you, AJ, that chart showed where they're going. Yeah. And we need to be prepared for that. This could be a COVID opportunity for us by getting married to a different parts distribution model. Now, I love all the great independent parts distributors that we have, but is there room for one other? Maybe if someone else goes away, what I'm saying is then you have to have an agreement with someone that you're willing to be the local Ford guy. You're willing to be the local GM guy, AJ. I mean, and again, I'm thinking blue sky and crazy and brainstorming here with you, but I think it's so worth it. Michael, you came here with all these, oh my God moments. Mm -hmm. And now we have a chance to talk about that. Mm -hmm. I was just going to add to that idea of the, where they're actually producing revenue and uh, making profit compounded by in large, not totality, but in large, the dealership service departments, they are struggling in a big way to find technicians, to train them, to retain them. So the combination is, uh, I know when I visit a dealership, um, a lot of times I look into the shops and they're empty and their parking lots are jam packed oh, yeah. full of cars. Oh yeah. And they've got half capacity at best. Mm-hmm. Some of the dealerships, I, I remember last year, um, one of the, the parts distributors was telling me they went into a Ford dealership. They had three cars in the dealership and the service advisors were talking to the, uh, um, parts rep saying, we don't know how we're going to get these cars in. Mm-hmm. They're, they're backed up for months. Yeah. Well, that's what we're hearing too in our area is months. To get an oil change, you know, to get on the schedule. And it's, yeah, we we think we have it bad with like, oh, I need a tech here, I need a tech there. They need hundreds. And some of these dealerships are so massive that, you know, 50 bays, 100 bays. Signing bonuses, I'm hearing, are off the charts. Mm -hmm. Oh, stealing techs. Yeah, yeah, it's it's doggy dog. And that could be the exit for the manufacturers for this because the agreement states they have to service the vehicles that they sell. And if they have an inability to do that, yep, yep. I mean, if I were a dealership and my service bays were empty, I'd be worried right oh, now. Goodness, and I'll yeah. add this to it, too. It, it shows you possibly shows you their dedication to how strong they want their service department to <laughs> yeah, be and the yeah. fact that they are not doing the long term things that we're all working on yeah. as independents themselves. Yeah. So they have to buy talent to have enough of it to stick around. Right. And it's like, what, are they not big enough and smart enough to understand how to build stronger teams if they really want to play here? <laughs> How come they're not investing their big bucks in it to be in our industry and make it harder for us? They're almost kind of backing out quietly, both at the dealership level and also maybe at the corporate level. And again, I'm speaking to them, or, you know, I, this is just conjecture from the outside, but you kind of look in and go, huh, I wonder why, dot, dot, dot. Pay attention in your market. It's a warning sign. If they're throwing 25 grand at technicians right. to come to work for them, right. you forget the fact that they're backed up. It's that they just have nobody. Well, it's a losing game. You throw front end money at people and they'll take the money to come. Yep. But at the end of the day, if the culture is not there mm-hmm. and it's not a place that they're going to grow and right. learn to master their profession right. and they don't want to stay, yeah. the, the signing bonuses are going to hey, go up. Hey, and that's how you drive people out of this industry too. Yes. It's, You're right. I got to make a comment on what Brian said about Amazon. And let me try to relate it to the dealership. I think Amazon and other e-retailers are successful to the point where their choice, the breadth of the SKUs that they stock compared to any other brick and mortar place is off the charts. I'll go to Home Depot. I'll go to Lowe's. I'll go someplace to find something that I remember seeing a couple of years ago and that will solve my problem. And I wasted two hours to go get in my car and to go places to realize that the choice that I had was 30 numbers on a shelf mm-hmm. when I know there should have been a hundred. So that category management is bad. Think about buying a vehicle online. Think about every time you bought a vehicle and you went to the dealership and you went from car to car to car. They didn't show you the charts as to what color you could get, what options you could get. You were just trying to fit yourself 
into the tangible object that's there. Turn it into an online purchase and say, oh, I could have a heated this and a plush that and, and this color over here and this button that does that. And you start clicking, clicking. Well, that would be so cool to have. And there's choice. They make it for you. And we learn as a consumer that cars aren't instant. You don't buy it Tuesday and get it Wednesday anymore. Also, too, I think about the car buying experience, right? What is it that we hate? I just think of the the sleazy car salesman, like slapping the roof on this, like this puppy right here. (laughs) Like no one wants that experience anymore, you know? And it's like, man, when you go to buy a mattress, I got a salesman mattress, like no offense to anyone that's in the industry of mattresses, but you know, I'm like, you know, here's a $500 buy, you know, and I'm going to like test drive these. And look, I mean, any industry is kind of revolutionized that, right? Carvana is delivering the car. They give you a 30 day trial. You don't like it just frictionless as possible, right? Now they got, you know, Casper and these other, you know, mattress manufacturers that will just drop ship it, give you a 30 day trial. Don't like it, throw it away, you know? And it's just people with the car, they, they don't want to have to deal with the sleazy salesman or woman, you know, just like, I just look, I just want to just leave me alone. I've come in with my questions. I just want to look at it. Yeah. If I have questions, I'll come to you, but but Here we go. To their credit, right? I got into the uh, dealership in the uh, mid '90s, and so I saw this transformation of. <laughs> I mean, you heard the stories of bring the trade in. Okay, we're going to take it to the back. They're throwing the keys on the roof. Hey, sorry, we can't find the keys. You know, let's keep talking, sort of deal. All the way to where we are now is, hey, show up. There's the cars. This is what we have in mm-hmm. inventory. These are the colors. We can order these in, and these are the prices, and that's it, right? I feel like there's been a shift there, but then they start working themselves out of a job because what we did have before the internet was, hey, these people really were knowledgeable and they had information that you just couldn't find. So you went into the dealership to be educated Mm -hmm. about what the models were and what the differences, the the uniqueness and whatnot. And as the internet started coming to play, I remember they started having the internet sales managers and those sales managers they were in large order takers because people were on the internet. They knew what you had in stock. They knew what your invoice was, all this stuff. And so when they made that call or sent an email in, they were buyers. They were buyer ready. And all they had to do was deliver the product and then evolve that into the front counter. Then people would show up and, hey, I don't need to talk to a salesperson. To your point, it's like, hey, look, I, yeah. I don't like you guys anyways. And <laughs> the only reason why I'm here is because I want that car and I have to talk to you. But those people that did a good job at selling, then they were invaluable. But the ones that did what they did um, to earn that reputation, they mm-hmm. gave the, the industry a black eye. Now we're moving to this point where is the salesperson necessary? Is the car lot necessary? Is the concrete right. necessary right. in order to hold them? Because maybe it's easier like Amazon to rent a piece of land out in Iowa somewhere in a cornfield, yep. pave it, store the cars there, right? Because how expensive is it to have a car dealership in San Francisco and who ultimately pays right. for that? Mm-hmm. Either the dealer, the manufacturer, the consumer, the consumer at some point, but the, you know, those things lose money somewhere mm-hmm. um, if everybody's selling an MSRP, right? So that whole evolution is fascinating, but it, again, it comes back to what you said is that this is what the consumers want and the manufacturers are serving the consumers. And then when those consumers come into the secondary market after they've dealt with the manufacturer and they come into our world, then we follow that trend and we're there to serve the consumer. So this is all consumer driven mm-hmm. at some level. <clears throat> I bet you it's cheaper to take the car from Iowa to California than to pay the rent for the you know, 500 cars that are on the lot. And that's what, Fran. And with that Amazon analogy too, that's what a lot of these anchor stores for malls, uh, it's a proposed option for like all the Sears that are closing up in malls, last mile delivery. It's just going to be a storage warehouse where Amazon can use those for that last mile delivery to the homes, right? Yeah, it's, it's just, just a, a distribution hub. hub. It's all they're going to be, right? And you could do the same thing with an empty lot. Just it's a last mile distribution. I feel like vehicles. we have enough knowledge here to, to dominate the world. <laughs> We're going to send this podcast to GM, Ford, Chrysler, <laughs> Toyota, Honda. But let me add one more thing. Yeah, yeah. This is all retail level yeah. auto sales yeah. conversation. The other big conversation they're having in the OEMs is the fleet sales. Now, of course, they sell fleet now. But if you imagine Uber and Lyft are the fleets of the future, first, the auto companies want to control the connectivity for shared mobility if they can or can't. Why wouldn't Uber only sell Fords or buy Fords, right? In the Right now, all the Uber drivers aren't really tuned into the fact that they're just making money for Uber to work into autonomous vehicles. So none of the drivers have a job anymore. And occasionally in an Uber, we go down this road and I end up talking to somebody and they're like, 
I never thought about that before. It's like, yeah, you're working yourself out of a job. You're getting the money and miles and experience so that they can basically put an autonomous vehicle out there when we're ready for them. And you guys won't be in them anymore. What happens when that's the day? Right now, the Uber drivers get deals on various cars they can buy for discounts and they can pick what they want. If you want a Tesla or a Ford or whatever, you can do that. Down the road, does it make sense for Uber to buy all kinds of vehicles from all over the place? No. Does it make sense for them to go to one car company and have them all compete with each other for the fleet sales of hundreds of thousands of vehicles, not five delivery vans for a plumbing company? So that's in their mind too. Where's the dealership in that? Doesn't exist anymore. Hey, look, if you earn your living in the automotive service aftermarket, Apex is for you. Now, if you attended Apex 2022, then you realize the incredible commitment that Apex has to the service professional shop owner and technician. Joe's Garage is your place to be with 10 working bays as you experience real live working conditions, along with exciting demonstrations and the latest equipment presented. Also, the best tech companies from tools and repair to management software had their latest and the greatest on display. You also attended technical business management training with the industry's best and brightest. Work is already underway to make next year's Apex 2023 even better than ever with more product demos, trending training, marketing, and the latest in business management training to help you grow your sales and profits. Remember, if you earn your living in the aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening as we bring you the latest from Apex 2023. Save the date. October 31st through November 2nd, 2023. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. NapaTrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. We provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. NapaTrax offers the industry's best post-sale support, hands down, and we train your people on-site. Yep, on-site. And we offer remote refresher training 10 times a week. And customer support is open six days a week. Give us a call, visit the website, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Napa Trax is always customized and tailored for you, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop. So, it's your choice. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. You talked about managed fleets yesterday. It lends itself just to what you were just talking about. Do we have an opportunity in the independent world to help manage, fix these fleets? There won't be a capacity, I think, for the deal. Assuming that they're around, right? Like there's so many unknowns right now. And also too, just back to this whole concept of say Uber, and Ford having a massive partnership where now we're talking about autonomous vehicles that are on the road 21 hours a day. You know, I remember it actually was actually our last all group meeting in Vegas when um, we had a speaker kind of talk about a potential outlook for the future. And this was also, you know, again, four or five years ago. And it's funny because I think the biggest threat then was about autonomous vehicles. And I think there's been, there was so much money thrown at autonomous vehicles, but they're running into so many challenges right now too, that we're now noticing that maybe that's not just like right on the horizon. Maybe this is a, a 20 year problem that will be solved where that will really be a huge threat. I think the more immediate one, it's really not a threat for us. It's just a shift. It's this whole electrification, right? We're going to see more in operation. And again, it's down the road. It could be tomorrow's oil change, right? So that's more like way down the road for us. But that thought that like, you know, even cities are worried about, well, okay, if there's all these autonomous cars running around, how is a city going to generate revenue? Because from all the parking fees and this, that, and the other. So as a result of autonomous vehicles, it would drastically change the industry, drastically change how, how we look at vehicles, And it's funny because this was all thought about five years ago, and I haven't seen any in this past five years, any major, major shifts or trends in any one major direction that has like really rattled us as an industry. It's still been all relevant as far as these vehicles and the thought that like Ford would just make all these vehicles and and work with Uber. It was a concept brought out, you know, again, like five years ago, but I haven't seen much just really of a Ford has to buy Uber. No. And uh, all well, the thing is too, it's, it's uh, back to the autonomous, right? Cause it, it's the frictionless ride, right? If mobility as a service, as Michael kind of talked about uh, yesterday for that to happen, self-driving vehicles, right? First of all, I'm very impressed that you remembered the all group meeting in Vegas. 
Did he come in at four in the morning? First Napa Auto Care Center of the Year winner right here, too. So, yeah. I remember that. Back in the day, we only had three stores. So, yeah. Vegas is your kind of town. Yeah, that's right. But that was the concept, right? Is that this could turn into something where we don't even own vehicles anymore. The the manufacturers own them, and and they're sending those vehicles out. You know, And to some degree, we have that going on right now with Lime and and Uber scooters just lying around town. Could you imagine just like tossing a car, car just somewhere right. on yeah. the sidewalk and somebody walking up with an app and yep. there I go. There it goes. But, right you know, I mean, it's a bit of a, when I heard about that with the scooters, I thought there is no way that you're going to be able to leave a scooter somewhere in town and not have somebody take it and strip all the wiring out, right, and sell right. the metal, melt it down, you know. And I'm just amazed <laughs> to see they're all over. They are. Denver, they're also right? been thrown off overpasses because the residents hate them. They're such a nuisance, right? Yeah, yeah. I got my Denali <laughs> equipped. It's big and it's diesel and it does this. You're not taking that away from me. Yeah. That's the thing. And, and that's that's the that's big thing is the emotion, right? The emotion is the connection, right? And that's the thing because <laughs> think about that's the big hurdle with self-driving vehicles is the acceptance of that. Let's look at commercial air travel. You know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, the majority of people were like, no, 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 you'd never put me in one of those. I would never go flying. You know, now it's like, oh, it's just, of course, well, it's so unless you normal. drive. Let's yeah. say this. Let's and, say this and, about but, but with self-driving cars, right, the acceptance of that. But right. then on top of that, it's an identity. It's like, that's the emotion. But, but what's the identity that, so. with the horse, though? Right. I mean, it's like, that's my buddy, right? It's a member of the family. You're not like, I'm not going to get into that iron, you know, the the horseless wagon. Like you're taking away all the heritage. So the horse becomes a pet. And I guess so will my F-150. Well, no, I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm saying that, that imagine the Mustang has a horse on it, but yeah. (laughs) But imagine that these, you know, when the transition went from horses to cars, you know, it makes me wonder. Were they thinking that too, right? Is, yeah. you know, hey, look, this is a member of the family. And, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, this you don't is, have to this, shoot in the head, this though. This isn't when just it dies a ride, back, yeah, so. right? This is my identity that my horse, the color, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the friendship, all that sort of stuff. So when you're talking about your, your Denali, it's like, oh man, this is who I am. And, you know, if you have a Lamborghini or you have a Corolla or a right. Prius or, well, that's part of who you are. So yeah. wait a minute, it, guys. I have it, I have quads. I have a trailer to take them to the cabin yeah. in the woods that really requires me to have a little four wheeling to get to right. it. And I got my canoe on it. So can you imagine? Was have, that a pun? Canoe, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I had no idea you were so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neither yeah. does anybody else. That's That's right. a yeah. It's a first. <laughs> Even now. It's meal. So How do you, uh, you're right. It's, a, it's an identity thing. Well, but it's, it's also, also, I got to move stuff. But will an autonomous vehicle come in? I sit in the back seat while it's taking me for the long yeah, weekend. That, that's not going to happen. But it's also a generational thing. What am I? I'm a millennial. Are you? Aren't you? You're a millennial. Yeah. So I was, I'm 39. Yeah. Uh, what's the next one? Gen Z. Z man, right? Are you, are you next one up. And, and I don't know. Right. But. Do they value a vehicle like we did? Because even when I was in school, like having that was the thing. That like, was what, the thing. What car and that got get? me out of the house. My like, friends you know? with sixteen year olds, their kids don't want to get a driver's license. Yeah. And I was fourteen. I was standing at the front I door wait. waiting to was, turn sixteen. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. now the kids don't yeah. even want to go. It's like, don't you want to take driver's head? They're, no. they're building really. apartment complexes right now with zero parking in Denver. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Zero yeah. parking. Well, they're just like, why do you need it? You got Uber, you got the bus, yeah. you got the let's talk know, about the pace of this stuff real quick because it could go and i'm not a alarmist here but i'm going to say it could go faster than we think it will Mm -hmm. from these perspectives there's a global movement around esg right environment society and governance and the concept of it is to have this green movement which is being sold through the media to everybody in the world buying into it the concept of it is is to say we have to have a different kind of a world if we're going to quote save the world end quote i'm not going positive or negative on it but it's out there They talk about it in Davos. They talk about it at the high level, biggest private equity firms. The biggest consulting firms in the world are backing the biggest investment firms to make sure that they're ready for the new ESG world, right? So the concept of legislation and the cost of insurance and whether after enough autonomous vehicles are on the road, the only way they're crashing is because idiots like us behind our wheels are driving into them. They don't cause accidents. We do. All of a sudden, there's a groundswell to say, hey, you know what? In the largest cities, we're not going to let private vehicles inside the city limits. So all the parking spots that are revenue for cities, they talk about this stuff right out front. The city will start to charge the mobility companies for 
access to what the parking spots used to be are now pullouts for the autonomous vehicles to load and unload and move on. And so they're not going to lose parking revenue. Mm -hmm. They're going to charge the Ubers or the Fords who own Uber shared mobility technology at that point. So now the cities are off limits to us driving into them. Another thing that can happen is now the legal business starts to go out there and the in Denver, the big firms that are always on it, you know, two o'clock in the morning. Hey, if you get into an accident, call me, right? Those guys will latch onto the fact that if you've been hit in your autonomous vehicle by a private driver, call us and we'll help you, right? So now it gets to be an insurance battle. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's yeah. pressure on the legislators to say, you know what? We're going to now charge extra fees or taxes or somehow make it more expensive from a, an insurance perspective. Like cigarettes. Can't, now you can't afford insurance. You can't afford yeah, you can smoke. have your truck car, but you can't afford to insure it and you can't drive it downtown anymore. And how far will this go out in the rural world? Everybody says probably not all the way. Mm-hmm. If you have to do a 500 mile trip, you're going to keep your diesel truck because yep. you're a farmer and that's fine. Yeah. It's going to go mega cities to mm-hmm. big cities to smaller cities yep. down to where it makes sense. What does that mean? I don't know. But there's great investment going on in this whole ESG platform, which is autonomous, which there are trillions and trillions of dollars being invested in these technologies that aren't quite ready. Mm-hmm. All the engineers will be like, well, you know, we have friends in Alaska that fix cars. You can't charge them if it's 20 below or below. So right, what do you do right. with your Tesla? You wait until it warms up. It's like, okay, that's not going to work, right? Yeah. But these things are being worked on with bigger money than we've seen in this industry for a very long time. Because whoever gets there first will control this transportation business into the future globally. And that's why the big stakes are here. If the auto companies can have their way and they dominate all of it, all of CASA, right? The connectivity, the autonomous. If they have control of all that at the auto company level, we put the statistic up yesterday. They estimate it's a $34 billion a year profit for the automotive industry versus if they lose touch with this and Uber shared mobility and all this gets distributed. Five, six billion a year in profit. So it, there's huge stakes here for them to run fast into the unknown future before it's quite ready yeah. to get us there before we're quite ready with mm-hmm. all, all what mm-hmm. you're saying. I'm not ready to get in the car, but guess yep. what? That's the cheapest way to go. It's coming. Yep. So I'll try it. Hey, that wasn't bad. Five trips later, I'm okay with an autonomous vehicle. When I saw his chart. Right. With that, would you say 34 billion? 34 billion. Mm-hmm. And that's I, that's and when they win. And, right, and, at the OEM and, and I yeah. thought if I was on the board of any one of those big companies, I'd be leaning that way, wouldn't I? Yep. And if you're GM, you're going to come out at the CEO level and say, we are dedicated to all electric by 35. Yeah. What? 25. Yeah. Not po- 25. Yeah, so it was 25. Yeah. Then right, they right. backed up on it. Right. Yeah. By the way, I, I got to say something to Tracy. In 2048, which is 25 years from now, would you please have this episode recycled? <laughs> yeah. So, like, those guys were way off. Way off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not um, exactly. Nostradamus. Was that the guy the that. The Illuminati yeah, not, not and like all that. that. At all. Yeah. <laughs> I love where we are at. Hopefully, we haven't crashed a car while they're driving down the road saying, <laughs> Yeah. But let's talk about a little bit of the, the consolidation that's going on in our, sure. in our great industry because, yeah. you know, if we bring all your prognosticating to today. Today, things are going on. There's two guys here that have, what, 14 stores among both of you? Would you you say 15? 15 win. (laughs) I I haven't checked the office, but we might have another. (laughs) Might have had a baby. Yes, right. Congratulations. (laughs) I'll send flowers. (laughs) Thank you. Take us down the... Take us down the laneway, Michael. Just real briefly, baby boomers in the industry, a lot of aging folks that stuck around through 2008 and nine financial collapse to rebuild their exit a little bit. COVID came, the government handed out money, paused them a little longer, but the baby boomers are wanting out and they want out fast. And so they're getting out and it's happening at a rate that's never happened in this industry before. So our long, stable seller's market, take your time, you sell when you want to, everybody paused and now there's a big stack of them and it's become a buyer's market for shops. And that's where we stand now is there in the future, there will be fewer competitors who are bigger and more sophisticated. And a lot of the marginal shops will have been long gone. The middle level shops will now be at the bottom end of that bell curve. And so the whole industry has taken giant leaps forward beyond where we've been before. And so one of our main messages yesterday was business as usual's gone. It's so important to hear what Michael said. The guys in the middle today will be on the bottom of that bell curve four, five, eight years, 10. 
that range within five years we believe it's going to be significantly smaller again so and and this is the time to prepare right carm it's not like we wait to five years and see what happens it's like if you're going to play in the future you've got to get started now on if many you, fronts if you're not going to play in the future you got to get started now that yeah. too absolutely yeah. 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 that's why we do what we do here on the podcast yeah. that's why you you belong to groups mm-hmm. networking groups because you want your pulse you actually literally put your finger in the socket and stay <clears throat> energized and stay connected you said something yesterday, 2017, 250,000 shops, yep. 2022, 127,400. Those are government numbers. Government numbers. We've already of, collapsed yeah, as an industry. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not done yet. And it's not done yet. And that's the thing. When, when I make this semi-presentation of these facts around people who are in the industry, owners are kind of nodding at me going, yeah, okay. I see them later. Or they reach out to me a month, two months later. You know what? I've been driving around my neighborhood. Sam's closed. Bob's closed. Phil's closed. I had no idea. There's just closed signs in the window and the front door's locked. And it, it's still full of lifts. And there, you know, there's old beat up cars in the back. It's like they just turned and walked away. But they're not worth Buying, yes. Am I right, Brian? Yeah, the business itself. I mean, yeah. the real estate. You know, in some cases, yes. Some cases, no. But the business themselves. It's one of the things that we talk about in our mergers acquisitions group. Is what is the value, right? And the value to me, it's fascinating because I've seen people that look at that shops and say this person wants a million dollars for their their shop and everything's justified. And you look at it and you go, ah, you know, I don't see the value there. We purchased a shop that um, was making very little profit and we paid, uh, I think, somewhere close to 30 times what they were making in profit, twice what the uh, liquidation value was. But we saw the value and the value was they had um, really good people that were working there. They had excellent equipment. They were in a fantastic demographic and they had a ton of room to grow. And uh, everybody was looking at us like, oh, man, you're, you are crazy to pay that kind of money for that shop that knew what we were doing. And then two years later, they're going, man, did that work out for you? And it's like, yeah, it did work out for us. Oh, how lucky you got. Right now, it's like, like, "Ah, overnight success. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So wait a minute. For anyone who's listening, if you want your premium, do what Brian just told you to do. Oh, man, there's so much. That's the thing. It's like, you know, who can we impact with these microphones right here? You know, and I would say that obviously those that are paying attention and plugged into the industry, they know that if they're looking to exit, say in the next three to five years, what to do to create as much value for their business as possible. And yeah, there's a lot of willing buyers and us at the table that are looking for those. We would rather, having done it both ways, <laughs> buying the distressed mom and pop shops that have no value or not a great customer base, or there isn't a core value alignment there. There's so much work, so much more work that has to be done. Yeah, you may be getting a deal, but so much work and so much sweat equity has to go into those in marketing and hiring and branding and overcoming a reputation, even if it's a totally different name that may have been there before. You're against all these hurdles as opposed to those that are a core value alignment fit that do have the, the customer base that you want. Yeah. And we're willing to pay the fair market value for that. Even if we're not going to buy you today, We may buy you in three years, five years from now, and we will coach you on how to build the value you want. So you come to me and say you want a million dollars for your business. Well, we'll show you how to get to that. And I'll gladly pay you. Uh, I would for, rather for do. I would yeah, rather there is do no that. such thing as a good deal. Yeah. in my mind, when it's like somebody, if you've owned a shop, you've all experienced it, right? One of your really good customers that you're like, hey, look, if you're ever going to buy a car, just bring it by. Let us check it out before you do it. Blah blah blah. They show up, and you know, sorry to all you Audi Audi owners, but this is generally the car, right? <laughs> they show up. It's a six year old Audi. It blew books out at twenty five thousand dollars. Man, I got a screaming deal. I only paid thirteen thousand dollars, and you're going, oh, oh my no. gosh, Uh-oh. it's going to take twenty thousand dollars get this thing all yeah, fixed sure. and you look at it but that's the same with with shops yeah. people ask well what kind of shops do you want i want the most expensive shop on yes. the market right yes. i want to want to buy a three million dollar store yeah. because if you find the value in the three million dollar mm-hmm. store you know what two years from now that store has you know paid for itself 
and it's got room to grow yep. and it's more valuable yep. to somebody else yep. when you're looking to uh, exit out, out mm-hmm. of it. So, but the uh, adverse is also true, right? Is, you know, buy an empty building and, you know, now you got to get the right people in there. You got to go through the grind. You got to get the customer flow going. You got to deal with guarantees. You're losing money every mm-hmm. single month. And time. Yeah. And the, the opportunity time. cost is the biggest cost yes. in the whole thing. Yes. And you, then, and you're like, you know, it's like being on a bus stop. You jump on the bus. Well, you can only be on one bus at once. <laughs> and you're going, man, I, I, I wish I would have hopped on a different bus that yeah. was going to more exciting places. Can we crash this, this bus? Ride yeah. sucks, right? <laughs> AJ, have you ever bought a place? It was a losing place, but you wanted the location? Yeah, I would say um, most of my purchases have kind of been that. I learned a lot. I got the hard knock life uh, with shop one, you know, as an empty building, more of a dumpster than anything else and growing that, but it took time, right? But like our fifth store that we just got, uh, it was a former Midas. It's eight bays. I'm leasing this location. So the barrier to entry was relatively inexpensive to get there and get running, but I've got to put in all the sweat equity, all the marketing. I got to hire the people. I got to get the right customer base, but man, it is in a smoking location. It's in Rockville, Maryland. It's right outside. It's a suburb of DC. It's right on the last line of the Metro rail. You can walk to the train station. I mean, I'm just, there's so many opportunities. There's yeah. So I'm like, Man, it's a really good deal. I really shouldn't open that email when I saw that uh, potential <laughs> deal come through, and I, I'm like, kind of, well, I good for have you. It. But, but Carm, this it. is what it boils down to: too is each company has to have its own strategy. And we've got folks that we work with that are in rural areas, and so their stores are 30 minutes, 60 minutes apart or more. There's a different growth strategy in those markets than there are for Brian on the Front Range in Colorado or AJ coming out of Annapolis and working his way toward DC. There's a different growth strategy for all of them. And so do you ever buy, do you ever build dirt up? Sure. There's a time when you do that. Do you buy an empty building and just start from scratch? There's a time to do that. If you're in a market where you can find a good profitable competitor who's doing well, and it suits as many of the criteria as you can find, it's an easier uptake. It's easier to get financing for it. If you have to go outside for financing, it's easier to get it up and running. It's easier to get it to profitability. And the faster you get it to profitability, the faster the next financing deal will be willing to invest yeah, yeah. in you. Right? AJ, any regrets on your growth strategy when you look back and said, I would have, could have, should have? No, no regret. I mean, you could either be the planner and you could be a planner for your entire life waiting for that right moment. Um, or you can be the doer that just rolls their sleeves up. You you break stuff, you move quick, you learn as you go. And no matter what, you are going to make mistakes. And uh, I've made plenty. Uh, I've learned a lot on this journey. I do have that drive and that passion to see it through, You know the resiliency to, to deal with the setbacks as you go through it. But I think the one big, big takeaway, well, one, it all comes down to people, whether it's customers or employees, right? Surrounding yourself with, so like for example, with us, we have a leadership team, you know, we're at 32 employees, you know, uh, right now. And we always talk about RPRS, right? Right people, right seats. And once you've identified your core purpose, your core values, and what that foundation is, and once you start surrounding people that are adaptable to embrace those values and see the vision that you've set and to move forward, it makes things a lot easier once you surround yourself with good people. And yeah, there's been a lot of mistakes and, and things along the way. Teachable that moments. Teachable moments. That's the phrase <laughs> I was looking moments. for. Teachable moments. I love that. So again, I would rather buy businesses that are profitable on day one. Gosh, it makes it so much easier, especially you know if they're good people under the roof. So the, the thing that I, uh, I wish I would have known earlier, right? So is purpose. And I didn't realize how powerful that was until I, I met Michael and Michael, you know, when he first met me, he said, Hey, look, we got to work on your culture and you got to do the purpose and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll do that when I start making more money. Yeah. <laughs> and you said, yeah. no, no, I said, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay right. Call me. Okay. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, call yeah. me in six months. Michael, <laughs> Michael can be persistent. And, and so, yeah. you know, we, we just nice. meet each other in, in a, uh, you know, industry event. It's like, Hey, you ready to start on that? You know? And then, so I started thinking about it and all my woes were tied to people. And then the people were, or a reflection of the culture that I built and the culture that needs to change. And, and in order to really, you know, start seeing more numbers, I realized that, okay, maybe Michael has a point here, right? So, so I said, hey, Mike, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. Let me uh, make a couple adjustments on the uh, team and then uh, I'll get back to you. And, and uh, so we started down this journey and, and I said, I don't have time to do this during the day. So would you mind waking up at five o'clock in the morning and meet me at the shop? And Michael said, yeah, let's do it. And so after about a year and a half of doing that, 
I finally had a little more time during the day, even though we were growing and I said, Hey, do you want to keep meeting at five o'clock or is like 10? Okay. Right? <laughs> Can I sleep in yeah. for once? Uh, yeah. the, the summer time, the summer was not that bad. It was the winter when it was like winter. five yeah. degrees and outside uh-huh. and we went into the office and it was five degrees in the, in the office. Um, but no, there was good times. You know, I look at this and, and I think, um, for people that are getting into this, right, or that have been in it, um, that are going, you know, one of my favorite movies is, is Forrest Gump. And I know a lot of people really like that, but the magic of that movie was that Forrest was in the middle of all these historical moments as they were going along. And I look back at, at my career and where my career is going. And, and I think, you know, I was there when there were still carbureted vehicles. And then when they started, you know, switching, you know, transitioning to fuel injection. And then when the vehicle started coming out hybrid and the transformation of the dealerships and, and just all the things that we've experienced, uh, over the last, you know, 20 years, um, whether it was, uh, 9-11 or COVID or, you know, the recession, all these things. And, and you start looking back and like, man, we handled that really well. Or there were some things that we did that we experienced and it was the best of times, worst of times in some cases. But that's the fun of this industry. I think the fun of the, uh, of owning a business. And to your point, AJ, it is the people, right? So any of, you know, my proudest moments and the moments where I, I thought, man, I wish I would have handled that a little bit different. I'll boil down to people because we're in the people industry, right? This is the people business. And we happen to fix their vehicles, but in the end, it's all there to serve people, whether we're, we're taking care of um, the team members so that they can build a family, we're taking care of customers so that they can you know, get to work and do all the things that will allow them to achieve all their dreams of um, having a better life and a better future and, and looking back and being proud of what they did and everything that, that I um, am committed to and that, that I want to do with my life, my family, um, and my legacy. So I agree with you. AJ, like there's no regrets, but there's things I think you look back on, you're like, man, mm-hmm. if I would have known that a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. I might be a little further right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's good to get good to hang around with yep. guys like Mike and be in these industries because you can learn and have an accelerated hockey stick experience versus mm-hmm. trying to figure yeah. it out on your own. Listen, Forrest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna tell me to run? Okay. Yeah. How, it was my magic shoes. How, how long? That's all I have I mean, to say about it's that. It's a great story and I love it. But Michael, you said to him, we need purpose and yeah. you were starting to work together. How long ago was that? Uh, 2018. Because okay. I remember well, that's not, he that's said, not that long. In no. two years, where do you want to be? I said, I either want to be having fun and kicking rear, right? Or I want to sell my business and get out. And when we looked at it, it was like, well, they both involve kind of the same thing. I either have to build a team or a company that has value and that value has to be built around people or in order to exit, or I need to build a company that has value and that value is built around people in order to have fun and be successful. Five years ago, how many stores did you have? Three. Three to nine. Right. And growing. And it's amazing if you're listening here to say, well, Brian's different. He's an exceptional. No, he got help. He didn't try to do this thing alone. He, he built a network of advisors and consultants around him mm-hmm. and fellow shop owners. So don't think that you can't. I mean, I, I think that's the story because Michael comes here to St. Petersburg to tell us a story of consolidation. Now you're either going to stay and be with it, or you're going to just look for the opportunity to go out and do woodworking. Exactly. Something to yeah. be acquired instead of being acquired. Well, yeah. and I think it's analogous mm-hmm. to decision or that we had back then, or the, the question you posed me is like, what do you want to do in the next two to five years? Either want to play with these guys or, you know, and compete in, in the market, or you want to exit and get the most value out of your, out of your business. It's going to be people, right? I mean, you have to put a team in place that has value to somebody that is coming and wanting to uh, acquire your business or start get into the industry, that sort of thing. And that's where you're going to exit and get the most value, or you're going to gain a lot of value because you have people there that are going to go on the journey with you and, and compete well in the market. But, you know, if you're not focusing on 
people. If you're focusing on numbers or facilities or, I mean, all that stuff supports people. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. It's not that it's not important, but the most important part of this is who you bring on board and inspiring them and leading them. And, you know, we do come to these events and we're on the front edge of the knowledge and whatnot because we have an obligation for our team to know more before everybody else and bring that knowledge yeah. back to them. Because right now I have 70 people on my team working and taking care of customers, they don't have time. They can't immerse themselves like I can. Yeah. And I owe that to yeah. them mm-hmm. to make sure that's, that's our role. AJ, yeah. anybody at these conferences that you go to come up to you and talk to you about growth acquisition? Yeah, no, I get approached uh, often, which is honestly, it's funny to me because if it weren't for being around like people like Brian and Michael, I would not be where I am today. You know, I have so much gratitude for the people in this room. For, we met each for, other on a shark diving trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Is that true? That's yeah, yeah, we have true. stories. Uh, it sounds like a forest story. It's a yeah. whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a whole, that's, that could be a whole... Like, like we could have a podcast about like... Yeah, yeah. We could have a podcast right. about what Wait we do with the money. Let's go to yeah. the Caribbean and do yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, but right. yeah, for, so for honestly, for the people in this room... Uh, so anyway, I, sometimes I feel like a little blown away when people like... Like look up to even me on what we've done because I just remember it wasn't that long ago that I was in the other position always asking the questions right and so and I've I felt like a sponge just sucking the life out of others to learn um, as much but ultimately too just having that curious mind about how this all works how I want to grow effectively minimize my mistakes by asking the right questions as we've as we've grown along and now I can like kind of turn around and and see others that want to also do the same thing and understand that. And then now, now I'm in a position to give back, which is really cool. That's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, there are people that want to know what it's like, you know, I relish having those conversations. It gets me fired up. Guys, so I, I so love this. We could go on for how long? Two hours. Yeah. Go for a trip. Let's do it. Yeah. But it. yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Hell, Michael's got it. That's a good idea. There's another yeah, crew yeah, waiting in the, I got, in the green room. I got a lot of those coupons in my bucket. Those are, are those drink coupons? Oh, I'm going to hang around you tonight. All right. JJ's my I'm in the wrong line. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you haven't been using it enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no. I, some people were donating them to me. Uh, it's like they knew. Yeah. <laughs> they you want, know me. You want advice? It'll cost you two coupons. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I see. I like it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm running at the tail end. But. Oh, I love that. Listen, first of all, we broadcast to the top maybe 10, 20 percent, and a lot of people that are struggling and want to get ahead, and they hear this consult they hear this but we've done episodes on this but i think this was a great update in 2023 to talk about this real stark reality of what's going on and to bring consolidators into the team and an advisor to them who is really looking at the industry so forward looking because it's his job to help these guys grow and not hit too many speed bumps mm-hmm. so any final words to our audience i'll do uh, Brian, AJ, and then you, Michael, you have the last word. I think um, we have a lot of fun and uh, these industry events are fun. I I would say that the biggest uh, thing that I I can state to anybody that's growing their business, that's in this business, this is a tough industry, right? And uh, when I came to these events and I listened to a lot of speakers, knowledgeable professionals in the industry that I really looked up to and, and wanted to glean that information, I just thought, man, they've got it figured out that, you know, once it gets easy at some point and, and uh, <laughs> you know, and yeah. man, he makes it look easy, that sort of thing. And I would say it is probably as difficult and challenging and rewarding at nine stores as it was when we bought our first store in the first month, the first year. This is a, again, a very rewarding industry, but we don't have it figured out, right? I mean, every day is a challenge. It's rewarding. It is all about people. And the biggest challenge and opportunity is to understand people and inspire them. And, uh, you know, you want them to storm the gates of hell with water pistols for you. And that's where the opportunity is. And that's where a lot of the heart burn um happens you know at every level you know i remember when we first started out 
the biggest, uh, you know, disappointments and the things that, you know, made me go home and, you know, think what the heck did I get into? It was all people based, right? The equipment, all the systems, all that. That's easy. But I also want to encourage people that, Hey, look, you know, we're in it together. There's a, the thing I love about this industry. Is there's so much support and there's so many people that are willing to wrap their arms around you and help you out. And that's what gives me energy when I come to these events is like you said, AJ, you know, you, you were that guy that was looking for the, the knowledge and now you're, you're handing off some knowledge, but I know, you know, we're in, in these groups together and you're still a sponge and probably the biggest sponge that I've seen. Your head's pretty big. I think there's a lot of well, sponginess in there, but, yeah. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, that's what gives me energy is helping out somebody else and giving them advice, but also coming to these events and, uh, and learning because I've learned a ton you know, even um, in the last couple of days that there's always so much to learn. I don't think you're ever done learning. So that's kind of my, thank you, man. Words. I loved his analogy. Just go lead your people to go storm the castle. Yeah. I mean, that, that well, is just, with water pistols. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. And, and I got that gates of hell and that, you know, put out the fire thing. I, I love yeah. that. That was great. AJ, if you grew your hair, would Brian not think your head was that big? Oh, that's it. Oh, it'd uh, probably look bigger. If I, <laughs> I could be driving an IROC Z because I have a little wallet going and everything. So, yeah. yeah back My in the flow. day. He does. Back in the day. Yeah, right? back in the day. Your final word. Thanks for being yeah, here. Man. Yeah. No, thanks for this opportunity. It's great. Um, yeah, just piggyback really on what Brian was mentioning too is, yes, it's all about the people. You think about why you're doing this. Like, what's your North Star? You know, and, and our core purpose was uh, we've kind of modified it a little bit just to make it easier, but it was changing lives by inspiring values. And we just, just in the past month, just kind of, let's just make it impacting lives. That's it. Impacting lives, whether it's our customers, whether it's our employees. I look back and I think about uh, the amount of employees. I, we just had one employee just, just had a newborn, you know, this, this week and just see that, you know, photo of that kid. And it's like, okay, yeah, I may have 32, 35 employees, whatever on the payroll, but it's really, it's the spouses, it's the kids, it's the pets, it's everyone that you're supporting as a result of what you're doing. And when you really take that 10,000 foot view and what, what you're looking at, yes, we happen to just be working on cars, right? That's the thing. That's the widget. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we're impacting lives and we're giving people a sense of purpose and coming to work every day, making themselves feel fulfilled, rewarding and recognizing our, our people. And uh, they come to work for a family. And all the houses that my employees have bought in the past year, those that got married, those that have had kids, those that are attending, you know, uh, little league baseball games, like, you know, those that are involved with their family that because they have the weekends off, you know, just those are the rewarding things for me that, that, um, just, yeah, you're going to have those bad days, right? You're going to have like, oh, why am I doing this? But then when, again, when I saw, you know, one of my uh, employees, Mike, you know, have a kid this week. I'm like, man, that's so cool. You know, just it, <laughs> it seems to me that your extended family lives in your heart. Mm -hmm. Did it take a while for you to to realize the critical importance of that extended family? When I was working at another shop, I felt valued. I knew what that felt like. Okay. Right? I'm thankful for that opportunity to work for that other owner that showed me what it could be like. I got spoiled by it. That was like my first real full-time job right out of high school was working at an independent shop. And it was, he was the best boss I've ever had. And it was like really the only boss I'd really ever had. And, and so as a result, I was like, he was a mentor to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so as a result, it's like, well, I want the opportunity to be able to do that, you know, in my own way. And right? for all the shop owners that never had that experience, please create that in your own company. Mm -hmm. Right. hundred percent. And that's one of our core values is be, is, is be a linchpin, right. Be indispensable. Yeah, yeah. We don't want cogs on our machine. We want linchpins, right. You pull yeah. the pin out, the whole thing falls apart. I want to empower you and develop you to a point to where if you decide you came into my office, and left me to start your own business, I'd be happy. For and, I, and, I, and I'll say that the growth of the business is, and I know AJ's heart and my heart is the same as that. It's not about putting tons of, of dollars in the bank. It's about giving that opportunity and growing that opportunity to people in the industry or in the world or future people so that they have that experience, that they have the opportunity to experience what it's like to work at a solid company. Mm -hmm. And that if they branch out or they go work somewhere else, they know what it looks like, right? That this yeah. is how it's done. It may not be perfect, but you know what? This is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. and, and this feels great. And this Don't needs help. Thanks, man. Uh, Michael Smith for how, last word. How do word. I follow this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. These are, I, I should have had you go first. Please, I asked yeah, for it. I'm really <laughs> sorry. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, all, right, all right. Listen, I, I'll, I'll give you this. your money back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that about this about these two guys. They, these are genuine unicorns in this industry, and where they are and where they're going is changing the nature of the way this industry sees itself, in my opinion. 
what's different to me about these guys versus others, and I think everybody has it in them, they have to decide if they want to play this game. Are they willing to learn a whole new set of skills beyond the automotive service business? There's business on top of this that we all have to learn to play the future game, and it's just additional. It's more. You can't go into this with what you know and think you're going to play the game successfully without understanding the rules of the game that you're moving into the next level of the board, the bigger pieces that are in front of you. You have to understand the game to know the strategy, to be able to know how to succeed in that one. Two, I think the other thing that sticks out for me is they live outside their old comfort zones every day. And one thing that's different about these guys that is available for everybody to develop the comfort in doing is to say, I'm okay on the other side of my wall of knowing how I'm going to control this thing. I don't need the power. I don't need all the control. I'm okay stepping into the unknown. And how do you do it? You do it with friends. You do it with advisors. You do it. We're following the track that 40 other industry verticals have been down. Nothing individually being done here is being invented brand new. How we put the pieces together is unique to the industry, to the company, et cetera. But it's like there's nothing inherently scary or dangerous about doing what we're doing, but it requires you to be comfortable stepping on the other side of the wall of where you're happy every day. And it's like, if you don't mind being stressed and going someplace you don't quite know how to go and making those mistakes and looking back and going, man, if I knew then what I know now, for us, that's the fun of it. Being inside the comfort zone is no fun for us anymore. It's like we want to be on the other side, making something new and different happen. And it's available to everybody. So to all of your listeners, don't be afraid of this. It's an unknown. Okay, come join us. Start talking about this stuff and see if you're one of these guys. See if you can get comfortable living outside your comfort zone because the world is your oyster if you are. The, the best things in life are on the other side of fear. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's what you're comfortable yeah, with. Embrace the suck. Yeah, what I heard Michael embrace say is to go out and you know break the box, get out of your get out of your box. But what I took away was get out of your current box, the bay, into your new box, a leader. Take your box home. Yeah, take your, yeah. take your box. Yeah. Very good. It's a, another podcast you tell us the day you did that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Michael Smith, thank you so much. Managing Pleasure partner, Herzberg Smith & Company. A.J. Neely, Neely's Auto Service. Five stores now, more coming soon, he says. And uh, Brian Bates from EAS Tire and Auto in uh, Colorado, nine stores, and potentially uh, 100 by 2025. I like it. By noon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for being here. We're here at the Institute, the Summit 2023. Thanks for being here, man. Yep. Good. Thanks, Carm. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.